as if being married to a leggy supermodel wasn't enough, uh, this man also has the largest selling album in the country, right here. It's called River of Dreams, and we are honored to have him as our very first musical guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Joel. Hi, I'm Milan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Paul Lauren, and this is Billy Joel A to Z. Billy Joel, he wrote so many songs, some fast, some slow, and some go on too long. All the hits and hidden gems, even the turds, it ends at Z, not A, with your friends Elon and Dave. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another amazing album wrap-up show on everyone's favorite podcast, Billy Joel A to Z. Even though we started off with a bang on album wrap-ups with turnstiles, we seem to be in a eh, not-so-fun stage as we recently wrapped up 1986's The Bridge album. And today, only because it all works alphabetically, we wrap up Billy Joel's last album ever, River of Dreams. But fortunately, that does mean... Lots of fun stuff ahead. Quite frankly, I think the three of us, at least, are all fortunate that we've gotten rid of what many of us consider to be Billy's worst album, being The Bridge. And so onward and upward, and although River of Dreams might not be his best, it should be a fun discussion on the fact that it was his last album, and possibly going into making that album, knowing full well it would be his last, and as he says, wraps up the story of his life at the ripe old age of 44. <laughs> River of Dreams was Billy Joel's 12th and final studio album released on August 10, 1993, which means we're coming up on its 30th anniversary, folks. One would say about the album it had a more serious tone dealing with issues such as trust and long-lasting love, but we've heard all of that before. Of course, this album includes themes on lack of trust and betrayal stemming from not Elizabeth Weber this time, but her brother Frank Weber, who embezzled millions of dollars from Billy and, quote, dubious accounting practices to cover it up. But like all Billy Joel albums, there's always thoughts of hope and dreams, and nothing sums that theme up more than the album cover designed and painted by his wife at the time, Duchess Christy Brinkley. Rolling Stone actually voted that album cover in 1993 the cover of the year. This album also spawned a big tour and a PBS documentary making of entitled Shades of Grey. As far as history of the album goes, four years after his last album in the summer of 1992, Billy Joel began writing and recording on Shelter Island in New York, but he was very dissatisfied with the results and on the recommendation of the great Don Henley, bought in session guitarist and Don Henley producer Danny Korchmar to start from scratch. River of Dreams produced four singles off the ten tracks on the album, the semi-title track, The River of Dreams, Alon, yes, <laughs> which went all the way to number three on the charts in September of 93, No Man's Land, which was performed on the premiere episode of The Late Show with David Letterman on August 30th, 1993. And of course, 30 years later, it doesn't exist anymore. And No Man's Land peaked at number 18. As an aside, 
on that one, Billy has been quoted as saying he feels No Man's Land contains some of his best lyrics. We'll talk more about that later. The third track was all about Soul, which peaked at number 29 in November of 93. And finally, the last song ever released from an album by Billy Joel, Lullaby, which peaked, as it should, at 77. Wow. Yeah, screw you guys. <laughs> Starting early. <laughs> the, <laughs> the album River of Dreams debuted at number one on the charts and went five times platinum, which is pretty damn good. Although Billy was still mad that it didn't do better and the songs didn't go higher. And I guess it's all our fault that he just never made another album. It was also nominated for album of the year. And the song, The River of Dreams, was nominated for Song and Record of the Year. And Billy was nominated for Best Pop Vocal Performance. All losing out to Whitney Houston, including, ironically, the best male pop vocalist, which is just weird. All right. So let's get the show on the road. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a good joke. You, and I didn't, we didn't give you enough for that. That was funny. It's quite all right. It was great. <laughs> all right. So let's get the show on the road as we remind you about the 10 songs we are about to discuss here on Billy Joel A to Z River of Dreams wrap up. I've seen those big machines come rolling through the quiet pines. Blue suits of bankers with their baubles and their valentines.
Questions for another day. I think I know what you've been asking me. I think you know what I've been trying to say. I promised I would never leave you, and you should always know. Wherever you may go, no matter where you are, I never will be far away. Someday we'll all be gone, but lullabies go on and on. They never die. That's how you and I.
after two thousand years And these are the That sounds like a lot of fun songs to talk about today. I am here, of course, with my co-host, the great comedian, Alan Altman. Hello, Alan. Hello, Dave. Great to be here wrapping up another album. Yes, and we're obviously lucky enough to always thank goodness that he wants to do this in our album wrap-ups. We are bringing the amazing musician, Paul Lauren, who today, the release of this today, is his birthday and he is just released, which you will want to hear. I don't think he did it for us. <laughs> just a coincidence, I suppose. But just to release a cover version of The Longest Time. So you'll want to hear that. But please, welcome to our podcast once again, Paul Lauren, everybody. Nice to be here. Thanks for bearing with me through the technical kerfuffle. And just for the record, Dave, I, I just released its longest time comma the that's what i just put out oh. a few days oh, ago that's you controversial that up with the lawn yeah just oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> no it is it is truly nice to be here and uh good to be with you guys again talking yes, Billy. and happy birthday thank you thank you yeah. the big three nine i mean it what's it like having a birthday on <laughs> valentine's day and being a billy joel lover i mean um that seems like it all mm. would add up yeah in fact all, all all of those things happen on the same day i usually um take all of Billy's vinyl records and uh, a box of chocolates and I cuddle <laughs> up on the couch and just, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Billy's been a, a part of my life since I was a kid, actually, and going back to this record, which we're going to get into, I think it was my second real exposure to Billy. And um, I remember, you know, being nine years old and hearing it for the first time. So whatever birthday I was celebrating back then, it's been with me for, actually been with me for 30 years. Right. This record's 30 years old this year, right? Yes, it is. Wow, cool. All right, here we go. Yeah, but then the I, question is, uh, you said it was your second exposure because we know your first one was The Innocent Man because your mom used to play mm -hmm. it. So yeah. uh, what happened to the albums in between? <laughs> you know, they, I think this kind of happened concurrently. In Innocent Man, maybe I came online as a, as a, you know, with my ears and all of that uh maybe the year before and then the first thing i saw from river of dreams was was the shades of gray documentary on pbs uh, in real time on channel 13 and i was mesmerized i was taken in by the pro and they go behind the scenes and you guys know the, the whole thing right you've watched it and that and then i was kind of like mom mom we got to buy this this new billy joel record river of dreams uh and we went to the wall in oceanside you remember the, the wall? wall yeah and they put the the sticker on it, a lifetime guarantee blue sticker on the cassette tape, and um, 
and uh, yeah, I've I've been in the Billy camp ever since. And I think actually the Shades of Grey documentary I owe to me being a songwriter and a, and a recording musician. Just having a glimpse of what the process was like was just fascinating, even as a nine-year-old. Amazing stuff. Now, so as a kid watching that on PBS, when you heard Billy Joel do his frog voice, did you think it was Kermit? <laughs> It, Alon, what, what song are you referring to? Yeah, what song what are you frog to? Voice? I don't even know what, what you're talking voice? about. <laughs> Is that a minor variation that what you're referring to? What frog voice does he do on River of Dreams? There's always something. I can't even think of one, but you know it's in here somewhere. It's probably You know, if you're going to do comedy, Alon, I suggest uh, you stick to my material <laughs> on that amazing opening monologue of the Whitney Houston gag uh, that nobody laughed at. You know, along, well, you know what I was going to uh, say on, on that, that, that was good comedy, Dave, and I was going to add in, B- Billy Joel did win one award that year, which was Best Dad Bod. Oh, well, you wow. are, I would say you're on Incredible. fire, but you're the opposite today. I, Whew, ice cold. What, ice um, what cold. publication was that that he won? For, uh, AARP magazine. I see, I see. Okay, great. <laughs> Good to know. Well, uh, the funny thing is, Paul, I as soon as you said you saw that documentary and it changed, I, I knew it. I was like, of course, that's going to make him become a singer songwriter because it's it's just made for somebody with musical talent to say, this is what I want to do. How could it not be? You you know, even if the songs aren't the greatest, it doesn't matter. The process is fascinating, and even yeah. the what we know. What's the song, Alon, uh, from River of Dreams, where? They got is it one or is it was an un, uh, uh, an unreleased one where they kept going underneath the piano, which was up they hated it. Remember Danny Kochmer like they're like hey, oh what do you that think was of unreleased this? that was the winter's end. Oh, the winter oh. crossing winter, winter crossing. crossing winter oh that crossing. was that okay right because remember they got so upset see that's the stuff they didn't put in the documentary <laughs> which right. might have steered you away from like that would be great people footage really. To see. Yeah, but you know, I, I guess we'll we'll talk about this maybe song by song. But it was so interesting the dynamic between Korchmar and, and Joel Cooch and Joel, uh, and and kind of this tension that they had throughout the whole process. And Korchmar always wanting to extract his thing from Billy or pushing him to get to a certain place, and Billy kind of saying, "No, nah, no, nah, I think it should go like this. I think it should go like that." Right? And and Korchmar saying, "Well, what if we try?" And that was fascinating to me, like because I always just thought like you know, the Beatles, like it was all for one and one for all. And the songs came out and it was easy and all that, but to see kind of struggle through the creative process and then to hear the result of that in like a blonde over blue with, uh, as Christy says, the tension and the release. It is really, um, it's really amazing. It was amazing for me as a kid. Yeah. I still can't even tell whether they, well, I, let's just assume they, I know what you're saying, but maybe they assume at the end, they didn't get along, and he wasn't happy, and I guess that's why he never made another album. I, perhaps mm. with a different producer, uh, maybe things would have been better. I, I yeah. think he, he says, after this ended, he was very upset with the, not just, I don't know how you can be upset with five times platinum, but uh, as an example, The Stranger went ten times platinum. It was a diamond album, but that's The Stranger. But he was very upset with the response, and he was very upset... And I, I, again, I guess we have to blame ourselves. We just weren't all in enough. Uh, it, you know, it's not the the greatest album. It's not a bad one, but mm. I, I feel like we could have maybe gotten another one out of him if he was happy with the material and and the and the process. It seems like the process was just bad. 
Mm-hmm. I have a quote that uh, Liberty DeVito, uh, somebody we're having on the show, I, well, I think it's next week, next episode, or after we finish uh, the wrap-up, he hates this album. And, of course, he was angry that he was asked not to be on the album, so there's that, of course, and we'll find out all this information. But he said he got a, he got a call from Danny Kirch, Korchmore, we still have trouble pronouncing his name, uh, put one of the songs on his headset and just started laughing and said, this sucks. So, wow. But that could be just being angry at being left out. So yeah. Danny called Liberty and said, listen to this, it sucks? Yep. What a dick. I think, no, 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 yeah. no. Danny didn't say it sucked. I'm sorry. He Liberty said, can did. you listen to this? Tell me what you think. Yeah. Oh, Liberty said it sucks. Okay. Yes. That makes more sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. Liberty was a part of the, the, the original sessions in the... Lobster Shack, right? Wasn't he kind of? Uh, I don't. Th- on I think it was. I think they they were done at this time. And as I've always said, hmm. you know, Billy was probably pretty much just like I. I want to try this, yeah. and he was just having none of it. <laughs> Liberty was just no. We're a team. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like a marriage, and then Billy's like, "Let's try an open relationship." And Liberty mm. knows that that's not. We're not going to get back to a good marriage after this. It's, it's like it's like a, you know the problem is it's just Billy Joel. So it's like when Tom Petty uh, or Elvis Costello goes without the attractions, or Tom Petty goes without the heartbreakers. It gets confusing because it's still Tom Petty, and that's pretty much what Billy Joel did. Yeah, because we know it's the Billy Joel band, and he had its regulars all through from turnstiles all the way up. And then he was like, I just want to do something solo and then I'll be back. I mean, he I'm sure at that time he didn't know this was it. Yeah, it's really it's really conflate. I mean, right. So the, the Lords of 52nd Street, that backing band, right, are, are playing with him through the bridge, the bridge tour. Stormfront kind of changes things. Liberty's still on board. David Brown, the guitarist, is still on board. Russell and um, and the other guys, go, Russell and uh, Doug on bass are are kind of so so the seeds were planted maybe the writing might have been on the wall for liberty david brown's not a part of the river of dreams i don't know man i mean i think it's a mix of everything but liberty must feel validated it's billy's last record so for him not to be invited he maybe from liberty's point of view at the time he never made another record but he's like see told you you couldn't make one you couldn't make another one without me hey well that's for sure that's you true Mm. Yeah, Liberty's like, you know, 2,000 years would have been a hit if I had been drumming on that one, let me tell you. <laughs> That's what it was missing. Uh, well, well, sorry, Paul, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. It's I have a lot of um, deep, heartfelt emotions for these songs because they're part of the nostalgia of my childhood. So anytime I hear you guys talk shit about Lullaby or whatever, I'm like, no, they're so good. Me. I take full responsibility <laughs> for that, but that brings okay. us to... Uh, would you do us the honor of playing one of these uh, songs that formed your childhood, the one that you liked the most? And if it is Lullaby, then so be it. Everyone likes it but me. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I, I have, I've actually, what I love about these wrap-ups, these album wrap-ups, is that I really have nothing planned. So when you guys are, <laughs> are saying, play so one of the songs. That's my least favorite part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of think of the song that comes to mind first. Um, so maybe I'll play 2,000 Years because Alon just oh, said it. Oh, great. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, that. the fun for me, I don't, you know, I'm making fun that that you don't have it planned. I'm like, this guy's not really a professional. Uh, but uh, no, my favorite part is we do not know, and uh, I'm telling the audience, we do not discuss this in advance. We want Paul to do whatever he wants, so I get very excited when he chooses whatever song is chosen, and I am extremely excited for 2,000 
years because that was the last song we just did and i liked it very much very exciting to hear it your way hey thanks all right here's uh my version 2000 years which i haven't played in 2000 years and angels gave us the fire and the light man was triumphant armed with the faith and the will that even the darkest ages couldn't Flags on the field, so many battles, so many wounds to be healed. The time is relentless, only true love perseveres. It's been After two thousand years This is our moment Here at the crossroads time we hope our children carry our dreams down the line they are the vintage what kind of life will they live is this a curse or a blessing that we Sometimes I wonder Why are we so blind to fate Without compassion There can be no end to hate No end to sorrow Caused by the same endless fears Why can't we After two thousand years There will be miracles After the last war is won science and poetry ruled in the new world to 
overcome prophets and angels gave us the power to see what an amazing future there will be and in the evening after the fire and the light one thing is certain nothing can hold back the night the time is relentless and as the past disappears we're on the verge of all things new we are two thousand years Wow, right. boy. That is so good. I would now. I'm thinking of putting that on the hidden gems list because, uh, but only the Paul Lauren version. I know only the Paul Lauren version makes it so special. That's sweet, you guys. It's exactly what should have been his penultimate last song. That's the way it probably should have been done. This Danny Kirchmer is uh, problematic. <laughs> the cooch. God, that was beautiful, Paul. That was really, really terrific. I I can't believe how enjoyable that song is. Nice. When Thanks. you play it that way, and I love that little Irish ditty in the middle of it. I I think that is so mm. great. I think it's just a really great song. I mean, it's nice to play it again after all these years. It's one of the first tunes I learned as a kid. I think probably after seeing that that really? documentary. But yeah, I just love it so much. And I think I was actually playing that piece wrong. I think he does. Uh, I think he goes up here. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's a bit better. Yeah, I was going to well, tell anyway. you, I think you got that totally <laughs> wrong, but uh, no, I just let it go. I let it go. I didn't want to interrupt the performance. Uh, but, um, no, I, I th- that's the funniest thing I've ever heard, where you're like, yeah, I think that's the first uh, Billy Joel song I said. Like, people are like, oh, what's the first one? 2,000 years? No, no, no. Billy so Joel's song, right? which did you play? You know, if somebody doesn't know. I, I mean, I, I don't. I really don't think I've heard that song before yesterday, before last episode. Really? Doesn't ring a bell for me, and now I like wow. it a lot. I'm not so telling you. This show is great for me. I'm very lucky. There's a whole bunch of songs either I just don't remember or never heard, but it is possible with River of Dreams uh, being my age and being older than you guys that I only heard the hits and didn't listen to the album. I don't even know whether I bought the album. So I wow. probably heard River of Dreams and No Man's Land, and that could have been where it ended. And All About Soul. All About Soul, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Well, I saw the two songs performed on Saturday Night Live, live because i was there which was very exciting and then of course lullaby was on the radio but uh, other than that if they didn't release it i probably didn't hear it in uh, 93 dave were you buying cds or still cassettes or still vinyl what were you what were you purchasing back then for music consumption still cds CDs. at that point for sure yeah because we started buying cds i can remember exactly it was about 84 85 i remember in uh, i was in college and we were buying cds then I said to my friend, what do we do 
about all the songs we have on vinyl since they're phasing out vinyl. And my friend said the most obvious thing, like you just buy the greatest hits and then you'll be good. Oh. So that's what we did. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably why part of the reason why you don't know a lot of these tunes in some ways, right? Well, I didn't buy Billy Joel's greatest hits because that okay, album okay. stinks <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's just, I mean. I'm, Which volume? <laughs> right. Well, just three I have. Three is the best. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> those must be the best ones. Oh, God. We should, you know, really, oh. we should make our own greatest hits. He should let us, as a gift, make our own greatest hits album. That'd be nice. You so know? we yeah. make the album, we, but then he commercially releases it? Yes, like just the three hits of us. As selected by Billy Joel A to Z. Billy Joel A to Z and their listeners. Yes. Mm. And it's like James yeah. December song. <laughs> well, maybe not December. <laughs> well, if he re-recorded December song yeah. in his own house at his piano. I mean, if we've talked about this last time. If only he would do that. Uh, what did you say? It was uh, the guy who does short people. Uh, Randy Newman did that. You told Randy us last Newman. time. Yeah, right? Imagine... Imagine hearing these song, all these songs stripped down like that. I think that'd be so cool. It would that'd be, be fantastic. Gift. It would be something else. Yeah, I just want to say a thing based on uh, two thousand years, right? Um, and famous last words. The drummer on those is Steve Jordan. Do you guys know him? He's now the Stones drummer. Um, he replaced no. Charlie in the Stones. He's been working. You know, he, he was in the the Blues That's Brothers a big band. Deal. <laughs> it's a really cool thing. I mean, Steve Jordan's like one of the most amazing drummers, and he's on those two tracks. Did you say uh, he was in the Blues Brothers? Yeah, right. So Paul Schaefer put that kind of put that band together, the Blues Brothers band. You got like Donald Dunn on bass and the, Steve Cropper. Are you talking about the skinny black guy that's in the movie where they're going under the uh, the floor and that's him? That's who you're talking about, Steve Jordan? Pretty sure he's in the movie as well because that's the band, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Well, they're escaping under the floor hatch. He's like, I got you and he's still playing. Yeah, that's, oh, that's Steve Jordan. Yeah. Oh, how funny. Fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure that in the movie, that's he, he's at least on the, on the soundtrack record for sure. Because um, I know they use the real band fantastic. in the movie. They use it then. There, then it has to be Steve, right? Oh, that's it has cool. To be Steve, that's way cool. Yeah, it's co- cool, dude. Wow, what a cool dude! Imagine, imagine sitting in Charlie Watts on Charlie Watts's drum throne. No, and he's. In fr- I, I can't imagine. <laughs> no, I, 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 I can't imagine well, even. I would probably instantly say no. I think probably when you get that call, you say no, and then uh, you wait an hour, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because Mick and Keith heard his playing on 2,000 Years that he's in the studio. <laughs> right, of course, that's so what that's it was. What, yeah. No, it reminds me of Rocky, where uh, he goes in like, Rocky, we'd like to give you a shot at the title. Uh, no, no, no thanks. <laughs> and then he has to convince him, but his first reaction is, no, I, I wouldn't be no good at that. That's a great Stallone. Well, wow. how, but I think the guy doing the thing is even better. In fact. Now, look, Rocky, this is a big opportunity. You do believe in America, don't you? You believe that America is the land of opportunity. Well, so does Apollo Creed. <laughs> that's what Frank Webber talks like. Uh, that's, that's his voice. I mean, we have no choice but to bring that up. I mean, these Webbers. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Paul, can, these Webbers. Toxic. Just, we should really, and I've said this before, go with pitchforks and torches to wherever mm-hmm. these Webbers live and how they just ruined our favorite musician and ruined it throughout that whole family. We we need to be the villagers and just go up and and not do any harm, but be like you suck, like egg their house, unless they want to come on the podcast, and then it's all good. I mean, I I agree, Dave. I agree with you about that, but I also think like doesn't it take two to tango? I mean, Billy 
Billy could have requested, I mean, in the Frank Weber situation, at least, he's not married to the guy. He could be looking at the accounting through the through the five or six years they are working together. He could be, hey, where the, where's the ledger, Frank? Yeah. Let me look at last he's year's a, receipts. He's an idiot in the sense of being a musician. It is very rare <laughs> oh, if you're thanks. that musically talented to also know accounting. That's and true. the people right. that think they know about that don't know what they're talking about. It's true. And Billy yeah, Joel he, was a street he, fighter and a boxer as a kid. So, you know, math, I don't think it's his strong suit. Unfortunately, when you get to that point, you and why wouldn't he? You have to trust. I'm sure this guy was ridiculously uh, charming. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you trust this guy that's been around here? I mean, you're, le- you're trusting him after you broke up with his sister. You know, that's <laughs> rare. Well, it's not that rare. It's 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 not rare to keep in touch with a brother or large sister-in-law that you liked during the relationship. And so that's what makes it even worse. Yeah. Well, he made amends. He's kind of a bygones. Bego- yeah, that's the thing about Billy. It's just that he has a big forgiveness bandwidth, big forgiveness threshold, right? And I don't know. Have you ever seen a picture of Frank Weber? He looks like the guy in Ghostbusters, the EPA guy, Walter. What's his name? He has that same oh, kind of The guy that grin. goes, uh, yes, sir, this man has no dick. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that guy's the same looks... douchebag who's in uh, Die Hard. He plays Correct. the reporter. Same guy. He always guy. plays that dick character. I think Frank Weber could have been, you know, cast as that. The way you're too. describing him now, it just makes the most sense. He's very businesslike, <laughs> and you don't know he's going to be a dick upon first meeting him, and then he just everything he says is bad. I remember uh, she punches him in the face at the end of Die Hard. Thank God. Please tell me you got that. <laughs> uh, I, I will it. tell you this though Paul I don't know whether you know this Alon this is what Danny Kutchmer said uh, he assembled a group of musicians about Billy to get a hard edged band oriented sound and Kutchmer says it sounded like he's playing with his rock band well I've never noticed that have you in this album it's got more huh. of a rock feel yeah. to it, I think. It says. So I think a bunch of songs. Yeah, songs like a minor variation is just like a blues rock. There's nothing much to it besides. Uh, like when a somebody bar says a rock band. band, I'm thinking more of the touring band he'd been using as the studio musicians all those years. That sounds mm. more rock and roll to me than the studio musicians. It's kind of weird that they call that a rock band when then he just got studio musicians and all through Billy's success he was using traveling musicians. You know, uh, touring musicians. Yeah. Well, I think there are tracks, yeah, that lend themselves to that. I think it's like this bar band kind of feel, right? I mean, that's what they say in the documentary. Billy wanted this kind of gritty. He wants to just play. His dream is to play Hammond organ in some bar band somewhere. But it doesn't make any sense like to want a bar band when you're writing songs like these. I'm going to give you an example of one of the reviews. This is from Entertainment Weekly when when the album came out in 1993. And they write... Billy Joel's fans, it's clear, have no problem with him. Eight of his ten previous studio albums have made the top ten. But the critics, they, along with people whose musical taste runs even slightly alternative, can't take him seriously, no matter how many songs he writes on such pressing subjects as unemployment and the Cold War. The allegation against him? He's shallow. And a related offense? He's just too slick a pop machine who will sit down at the piano and bang out a tune seemingly without stopping to think. It's a very rude thing to say, but let me continue. Hmm. That his songs are superbly crafted only makes matters worse, of course. Rock and roll hardcore critics insist should sound anything but crafted. It should hit us as a primal howl from the gut. 
But by that standard, Joel's new album, River of Dreams, comes as a surprise because it is a cry from something approaching the depths. They go over the tracks, and this is what they say. Yeah. But now his serious strain, which he himself called journalistic, takes an intensely personal turn, always self-aware. He now turns himself inside out. You might not sense that in the first two tracks, No Man's Land an arena-sized attack on developers who ruined Joel's Long Island countryside, and the Great Wall of China, an equally big-boned slam at a friend who betrayed him. Remember, this came out when the album came out, so nobody knows the, mm. you know, what it's about yet. But everything afterward, even the lullaby is remorselessly self-analytical. In Blonde Over Blue, Joel digs into what sounds like his relationship with Christy Brinkley, revealing a strain of manic obsession. In a minor variation... Propelled by a tough-minded riff for guitar and Hammond organ, he howls his defiance of unspecified troubles that assail him like a hungry pack of wolves when it's feeding time. But here's the best part of the, of the review. River of Dreams is a popmeister's epiphany, a pensive record that also manages to be irresistible. Ten years ago, Joel's pop aptitude might have seemed like an empty talent, streaming along with no relation to anything his songs had to say. But when he probes this far into himself, it becomes something stronger, almost a state of musical grace, and they gave it an A minus. And that's the day it came out. Wow. I like so that they review. Loved they loved it. But they, they were but it. they but they were pointing out people don't think of them as rock and roll. And so I guess you know, when I'm hearing this album, they're saying, Oh, this is a real rock album. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't see it. Well, I think side one is a rock album. Record. I think there's two sides to this record. I think knowing a little bit of the history of it, I think he wrote side one. Those are the earlier songs, right? Uh, maybe except for All About Soul, which was what the motorcycle song originally. But right. the the mm. so, <laughs> the Jericho Road. Uh, so, but side one it, are the earlier tunes. It's this most of the stuff that was literally sh- woodshed in the woodshed with that with that band that has that sound, right? No Man's Land, etc. And I think side two is this, the end is coming and he's turning inward and he's trying to reconcile things and he's looking for some kind of redemption there. And I think it's really cool to see him struggle inside one, see this journey of struggle and a lot of tension. And then by the end, he's just kind of resigned to the fact, famous last words, he's not going to make another record again. But the things that are prized on side two, maybe family, love, um, you know, longevity, a look into the future. It's a very different, it's almost like a very schizophrenic record. There's two sides of Billy on this record. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. It really is like, and it's interesting that it's organized that way because he might have other albums that are eclectic, but this one really is like side one, dark and depressing, side two, hopeful and looking to the future. And this being his last album, that is a good dichotomy to his very first album, Cold Spring Harbor, where it starts out with tunes that are a little bit more upbeat and then it ends with a depressing where he's talking about suicide. So he at least has flip-flopped it to go out into the sunset with something a little bit more peaceful this time. Yeah, not drinking that, that paint thinner. Of and also, as we know, <laughs> the so- well, as they say, side one is the painful and depressing side, and side two is more hopeful, and that's the side everything supposedly flows together, as we know, as we've been talking about, that all the songs on side two are supposed to come. And, and if, as we know... The album was pretty much written in the order that it appears on the album, which is extremely rare. Totally, totally. But it feels, it feels right. It feels like an actual journey that way. 
Um, you know, when you when you see a, a, a film that's filmed in sequence, you, you know it kind of, um, it has that kind of totally organic feel, I think. We're with him every step of the way. I mean, they're, they're, they're beautiful moments. There are moments we'd probably skip over. They're lyrical. Eh. But, but I think all in all, just as a journey, um, it says a lot. It says a lot about him as an artist, where he's at in his life. And midlife crisis or not, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool record. Well, Rolling Stone really liked it, too, when it came out in 93. And they said, River Dreams, he asks, again, the sort of sobering questions about committed love and parental responsibility, which is funny to hear on a rock album, <laughs> that he first addressed on the bridge and Stormfront. But he raises the stakes with River of Dreams diving further into the philosophical abyss of middle age with the fury of a dreamer searching for an answer before time fades away. Uh, at the end, they say it's the hellish searching for that that is ultimately so compelling. They give it four stars, Rolling Stone. And none of that was enough to get him to say, all right, fine, I'll do one more album. The I know. like me. Well, that's, well, yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's a bummer. Uh, there's a, there's, but then there's reviews later on as it stands the test of time where the uh, last line is, it's an unworthy way to depart. The guy's furious. We can look at it so many ways. Though. You know, when the album came out, not knowing it was going to be his last album, it's like, oh, this is good. I like the introspection. But then I think people just started getting angry that it's his last album and that he won't give us any more. And here's the funny thing. He's quoted as saying in the Daily News in 1994, to make the album this way, this was a deliberate decision on Joel's part, calling it a song cycle that was written and recorded pretty much in the orders presented on the album. But he said, it begins with a crisis of faith, a search for justice. In the end, the guy realizes there's no justice, only faith. Mozart, Brahms, and Schumann all had their rough days, but they didn't, this is the worst part, but they didn't deny the rest of humanity their art just because they had the blues. Well, Billy Joel is denying us his art because he has the blues. And that's a weird thing to say about a guy that's about to retire. Two-faced. I don't know, guys. I mean, I feel, I feel, um, I, I, I relate to this record as a writer. I relate to this record as a, as a, as a dude, a Long Island dude. <laughs> I don't got kids. I'm not singing them lullabies, but there's something about this record that uh, hits me deeply. And maybe how, how could we separate the, the times in our life that art touches us versus the quality of the art itself? It's impossible, right? It's impossible to separate for me this nostalgic streak that I have with this record from the material itself. But I, I know that I've spent a lot of time away from this record. And once in a while when I come back to it, I came back to it recently, maybe a few months ago, listened to it on a, on a road trip. I'm, I wasn't happy with a lot of the sonic choices and some of the, the sounds and all that, but... I think it is a really strong record. I'm, I like it better uh, than the, than the previous two later Joel. Re I like it better overall than um, the bridge. And sorry to is say, is this one you would drive somewhere to and put the album on as a whole? Well, I think it's due. I think those records, the bridge Stormfront, and this are actually all due for a remix in my mind. So when I listen to it now, I, I, I think about it like it'd be awesome to hear the Great Wall of China mixed totally differently or some of those room mics taken out of the drums in some way, or, you know, I would make things a bit tighter. I, I don't know. I would, I would it's make funny things you sound say a little that. I was talking to my friend yeah. Artie Rip and he said he's planning that <laughs> for the 30th anniversary of River of Dreams. going to take out a lot of the instrumentation. Oh, good. And good. Uh, everybody's really excited about it. 
Everybody's really <laughs> excited about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking Here of which, um, would you like to play another song for us? Because we'd like it. All right. Okay. Um, what can I play? Okay. Let's see. Uh, uh, it's a long one, maybe, but I'll play it. I'll do an, an abridged version of it. Hey, an abridged version. No pun intended. Do a River of Dreams version of do a river, do a, do a river he's going to do the River of Dreams version where he's not going to play that middle piece of uh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> the uh, is it hot enough for you? What was that song we heard? <laughs> heat wave. Heat wave. Oh, heat Thanks. wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bathroom break. Um, it's called the motorcycle song. Oh, yes. And <laughs> please yeah, play it <laughs> to the original. <laughs> the original. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play all about soul. I, I really oh, like that great. song. Also, I should say. He wrote the like. There's a full lyric to the song, right? As the motorcycle song, it's not just he's writing verse and chorus lyrics there, and then to rewrite this and to make it as personal as it is, and I don't know if this feels like the what they called adult contemporary radio of the early '90s. You guys remember this format? Like the like this feels like an anthem of that time. It was like you'd be alongside Michael Bolton and Seal and Sting and Don Henley, and everyone was kind of doing these M O R anthems mark cones walking to memphis this feels like it sits right in there on that radio station maybe it was light fm in new york i don't know what it, what it, we can consider that but yeah yeah uh, i think it's a really cool song uh okay we'll strip it down here she waits for me at night she waits for me in silence She gives me all the tenderness And takes away my pain And so far she hasn't run Though I swear she's had her moments She still believes in miracles While others cry in vain it's all about soul It's all about faith And a deeper devotion It's all about soul Cause under love Is a stronger emotion She's gotta be strong Cause so many things Getting out of control Should drive her away But why does she stay it's all about soul mm, She turns to me sometimes And she asks me what I'm dreaming And I realize I must have gone A million miles away It's understood There are no words to say It's all about soul It's all about knowing What someone is feeling The woman's got soul The power of love And the power of healing This life isn't fair It's gonna get dark It's gonna get cold 
I tried it. We'll see. I'm not fully warmed up oh, yet. God, that is so. Oh, that is. I love that. Uh, for your voice sounded fantastic, but that chord progression where he's going to those other those what are they minor chords or something, and it's just uh, it's yeah. just all the right. I used to say that about Adam Schlesinger sometimes. Like this guy brings it to a level I, I'm not expecting, but I want. Like I know I want to hear it that way, and I don't know what it is. But it, it's exactly the note I need to hear next. Yeah. And that's one of those songs. He knows he knows his way around a pop song. You know, he does. Apparently. Thank you so much for playing it. It's a cool song. Oh, please. You knew this was going two parts. Wait till we get to The Stranger. That's going to be three. Anyway, join us next week as we continue part two of The River of Dreams wrap-up where you'll get to hear things like this. Okay, so number 10, I have a minor variation. Uh, 10 is obviously a lullaby. Paul, you're up. Number 10. And he's gonna get excited about it. Wait, 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 I still want to thank some people. (laughs) (laughs) No soup for you. You talked in line. You touched the counter. Three of the parodies I did for this album are all Seinfeld related. All that and more on the next episode of Billy Joel A to Z.